Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cody's Car Conundrum. I'm your host, Cody Wagner. No duh, right? Here we discuss everything from car news, culture, movies, stories, games, interviews, events, and so much more. Without further delay, on with the show. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to this admittedly late Sunday special. It's more like a Monday special at this point. In any case, though, it is here, and we are talking about an interesting article I saw... Ooh. I think two months ago, maybe three months ago, I don't even remember how I came across it. Maybe I was just searching for something random on Google. Might have been part of a topic discussion I was reading on one of the various forums I, well, one of the few forums I frequent. But either way, it's an article from Popular Popular Mechanics from over a decade ago. Title says, How to Build a 100 Mile Per Gallon Car Right Now. And that was in 2006. So imagine what we could do, what we could do in 2022. But in any case, it was a really, I thought it was a pretty interesting article. I haven't read read it, but if Popular Mechanics, a fairly esteemed magazine, says that there's a way to make a 100 mile per, gal- mile per gallon car, you know, back in 2006, and I thought, hey, you know, it's worth the read, see what they've got to say. And if you remember Casey Putsch, who, I'm sorry if I butchered your last name, I probably did, uh, from of, of Genius Garage, him and his students, I believe, made a 100 or certainly over 50 mile per gallon car. That could also do 0 to 60 in under, I think, 6, maybe under 5 seconds as well. Tough challenge, but but they might have actually done it. I haven't watched any videos of that, but all all I do know from that is that they were making the attempt. And I think, considering there's no more videos on that car, I'm thinking they did it one way or another. So, in relation to that, this article seemed extremely interesting. So, let's see what the subheader subheader says, subtitle even. With gas prices at historic highs. Oh, that was even the case back in 2006? That's interesting. You know, gas prices are back at historic highs even now. <laughs> Maybe it's time to revisit this article. PM consult consults some of the... Oh, popular mechanics. Consult some of the best minds in automotive design and engineering on how to hit the next big milestone in fuel economy. Yes, a four-door that gets 100 miles per gallon really is possible today. With modern tech, here's the plan. Why can't the world's car companies make a vehicle that gets, a one, that gets 100 miles per gallon? Sorry if I if I stumble a little bit here. I'm feeling a little bit tired at the moment, just a little bit. So I'm probably going to stumble a little bit more than I normally would. Automotive technology keeps improving and people keep asking the question. But as with fusion reactors and comprehensible phone bills, the reality always seems to be just a few years away. Sure, student engineers have achieved 2,000 miles per gallon in design contests. But those vehicles have been exercises in automotive minimalism, not practical everyday cars. Steve Lapp, a professor from Ontario, says the moment has nearly arrived. I've actually gotten over 100 MPG on some trips in my 2001 Toyota Prius, but that's a Prius that's lame, he says. The secret? He mounted solar panels on the car's roof to keep the batteries charged when the sun is shining. If Lapp, a backyard big thinker, can get triple-digit mileage occasionally, why can't the world's car makers hit the mark on every drive? Recently, they've come close in Europe. The Volkswagen Lupo 3-liter turbo diesel, I would imagine a Volkswagen, what was it, a Volkswagen Polo Blue Motion. I would have thought they were going to say that, but whatever. And the Audi A2, which uses the same engine, have both edged close to 80 mpg. That's better than a hybrid. On the downside, that amazing 3-cylinder diesel doesn't meet U.S. emission standards, nor did it meet European standards at the time. And the vehicles are are ringling bro size by American standards. So the question remains, could manufacturers deliver a practical car that a typical American family could use as daily, tan- as daily transportation, getting 100 mpg or better on every single trip? We asked some of the most inventive engineering minds in the country, 
We looked at designs, materials, and drivetrains. The answer, yes, it can be done. At an affordable price? Hmm? Probably not. Fuel economy is, oh, oh, so it says taking the weight out. Fuel economy is all about efficiency. The lighter the load, the smaller and more efficient a car's powertrain can be. That saves fuel, and using a lighter engine saves yet more weight. Mark Ross, a, a University of Michigan physicist, suggests that other things being equal, reducing the mass of a typical light-duty vehicle by 10% would increase the fuel economy by 7%. That's good, but dramatic mile gains would demand hefty weight savings. Where to find them? While most cars today are made essentially of steel, some rely on lighter structural aluminum. Uh, I was about to say aluminum. I really was. On, on lighter structural aluminum. That metal, however, presents manufacturing and repair challenges. The best choice for building a 100 mile per gallon car would likely be a carbon fiber composite, which can weigh less than half as much as steel. Carbon fiber is both expensive and hard to work with, though. However, it does offer an outstanding combination of lightweight and strength. Carbon fiber is extensively used in motorsports and on exotic cars. If you, look at, if you look at exotics, they're all engineered for high performance, but you can apply the same type of technologies to meet fuel economy goals. Well, of course you can. Says Tage, I'm sorry, I can't figure out, I can't figure out how to say your last name, but Assistant Chief Engineer for the Chevrolet Corvette, interestingly enough. Low volume production of such large automobile structures is expensive, up to $100,000 per copy, according to John Fox Rubin, president and CEO of Fiber Forge, a leading manufacturer of advanced composite structures. Part of the price comes from manufacturing difficulties at, and a high rate of rejects, says Paul Williamson, Toyota's product education manager. You still have to pay for what gets thrown away. However, as the technology advances and volume, volumes rise above 50000 per year, the unit cost for carbon fiber body structures could eventually drop to around $4,000, low enough to make mass market cars feasible. GM's ultralight show car, built back in 1992, built, built back in 1992 by Scale Composites, the aerospace firm that later built Spaceship One, was a testament to the potential of advanced lightweight materials. Ultralight had a carbon fiber skin slash PVC core sandwich panel structure for the chassis and body panels. The structural weight, with doors, front and rear bumpers, and interior components, was only 420 pounds. Insert 420 joke here. Weight savings can be found throughout a vehicle. Glass, for instance, is one of the heaviest components of an automotive body, heavier per square foot than the most commonly used steel. Polycarbonate glazing will be coming into production within the next 10 years, Tage says. The material is already used to cover headlights. For windows, a plasma process will be used to deposit a thin layer of glass on the polycarbonate, he says. To an ice scraper or car... To an ice scraper or car wash, it will look like glass, but you have a 50% weight reduction. Engineers can also save weight by paring down the hardware needed to support the electronics so prevalent in modern vehicles, especially now. There is so much cabling and wiring in vehicles today that it's not trivial weight-wise, says Deborah Hopkins, staff scientist at Lawrence Berkeley National Labs. Given the current state of electronics, it's possible to imagine a car without bulky hardware for audio, video, and navigation. Instead, you'd have a thin screen with a port. The cell phones of the near future would already carry these functions in them. There'd be a wireless connection to the display screen, says Richard Plavt Plavich. Plavtich, maybe. Sorry if I got your name wrong. Technical design manager of Nissan Design America. They make a really good point about the phones, because if you had to really, really, really drop the weight of a 100-mile-per-hour car, honestly, you could just say, hey, 
Most of you don't really use the, the built-in GPS in the car anyway. You use Waze, you use your phone, you use whatever else. And especially now with like Android Auto and Apple CarPlay, you, you don't need the touchscreen. You already use your phones anyway. So what, all you'd really need is just a port to plug your phone in and then maybe a, uh, maybe a mount. Maybe a mount that would be supplied in the options menu for the car itself. And then what you could just have is a fairly rudimentary radio and maybe a CD changer or something for your for your infotainment, I say infotainment, for your musical needs. Because you're not, again, you aren't going to need much else. Considering the phone can already do so much. In contrast, airbags and belts don't add as much weight as you might think, says Greg Thomas, a senior engineer at Honda R&D Americas. All of the, all the components of a modern restraint system weigh less than 25 pounds. To get around the high cost of making components of magnesium, carbon fiber, light steel, and other alloys, David E. Cole, chairman, chairman of the Center for Automotive Research in Ann Arbor, Michigan, suggests a model in which, instead of buying these raw materials, the owner leases them all and gets credit for returning the car for recycling. Okay, rolling easily along. Any weight reduction plans need to account for wheels and tires. As these elements spin, their weight, in effect, increases. You know, like... Let's say you put a rock on the end of a string and then you swing it around like that, but a wheel. As a rule of thumb, the, rota the rotating weight of a spinning tire is 1.5 times its actual mass. So this is an area where trimming pounds really pays off. I think that's where uh, what, outboard, outboard and inboard weight could be. No, 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 not that one. Not that. Uh, rotational mass. That's where rota that's what they're talking about here is rotational mass. Dimag, a British wheel manufacturer, has been, I mean... Yeah, because outboard and inboard weight is really more of a handling thing. Though, if you can reduce, if you can do reduce the weight inboard or or outboard, hey, that's less weight. Full stop. So that that would still help. Anyway, though, Dimag, a British wheel manufacturer, has produced a very light wheel with a magnesium center and carbon fiber outer rim that's now being used by a, by American exotic car manufacturer Mosler Automotive. Really? They cost about forty percent more than our standard wheels, says Mosler engineering director Todd Wagner. But we save about 11 pounds on each wheel. So if you times that by 1.5 for a wheel rotating, the rotational mass. Look, I'm not brilliant at math, but I, I'd wager that's anywhere between 25 to 30 pounds when in motion. That's a, that's a lot of weight. That is a lot of weight, especially if, Yeah. At least the weight's low down, though. At least the weight's low down. It's not like having the glass all the way up top, but yeah. 30 pounds of rotating weight is not, that's really not trivial. For optimum fuel efficiency, tires must be designed for minimal rolling resistance. Oh, Toyota Prius, here we come. Skinny with a shallow tread and the ability to hold their shape at speed. The lowest rolling resistance would be something like a locomotive wheel, which, which doesn't deform, Thomas says. The price paid is a harsher ride and somewhat, com and somewhat compromised handling. Necessary trade-offs in the search for 100 miles per hour performance, uh, uh, miles per gallon performance. A study by the Transportation Research Board, commissioned by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, or NHTSA, you guys know this, found that cutting resistance by 10% yielded a 1-2% to improvement in gas mileage. What would, okay, if it's a 1.2% improvement in gas mileage, how much of a decrease is it in handling, though, and ride? Because unfortunately, consumers are going to care about that, especially ride. Apparently, now we have to talk about the Honda Insight. On the market here since 1999, the small two-seat Honda Insight was a harbinger of the, hybrid, of the hybrid mania and advanced technology to follow. Devotees continue to modify their Insights, some owners claiming well over 100 mpg. That should, you know what, that could be a video for me.
That could be a video for me way down the line. Tire manufacturers already use silica in the tread compound to help lower rolling resistance. David Van Emberg, Michelin North America's product marketing director, says we could soon see exotic tires with 20% lower rolling resistance than today's models. And imagine a tire that could sense its environment and adjust air pressure to, min to minimize rolling resistance. Essentially a tire with active pressure management. That would be really cool. We have our group in Milan looking into technology embedded in tires. It's certainly, it's certainly thinkable, says Steve Carpino, director of R&D for Pirelli North America. The thing about that is how much weight are you going to add to make that feasible into the tire? Because we just, we literally just talked about rotational mass, right? We just talked about that. So how much will adding technology, how much weight will adding technology add to the overall weight of just a tire, right? Because the wheel is its own thing. Rim perhaps is its own thing. But the tire is also its own thing separately, and you're adding weight to the tire. And tires can already be pretty heavy. I don't know. I'm just my question for that would be: would would active pressure management outweigh the drawbacks of added of added weight to the tire? That would be my first concern. Slicing through the air. Aerodynamics are critical for good fuel economy, especially on the highway. The aerodynamics become a factor exponentially the faster you go. We know this, says Nissan's Plavich. Hopefully I got that right. I'm really sorry if I didn't. A low-slung top-speed machine isn't exactly the best design for showing the kids to school, but the Mercedes Bionic car concept could do the job. You know that fish car from uh, on Top Gear years back? That's what they're talking about here. That's what they're mentioning. Its fish-like profile, see, is tall and skinny, but it is one of the slipperiest designs ever conceived for a passenger car. The shape helps the 2,888-pound concept deliver a claimed 84 miles per gallon on the highway. The concept car from Mercedes-Benz has a tall and narrow shape with a, coefficient of with a drag coefficient of only 0.19. That's about 50% slipperier than most modern family sedans. You can, you can get to a fairly small frontal area by going narrow and tall. A cross-section that feels a little more upright and vertical, but slender, says Stuart Reed, who chairs the Transportation Design Department at the Art Center College of Design in, in Pasadena, California. We're noticing in the wind tunnel that what you do on the bottom of the car can be more profound than the roof shape. That sounds like, uh, that sounds like under, underbody trays and whatnot, something you see on modern Priuses, he says. In addition, the rear of the car needs to be either long and attenuated, or attenuated maybe, or abruptly cut off. The cam tail we saw from Ferrari, uh, from Ferrari Daytonas and, no, sorry, Ferrari 250 GTOs and Shelby Daytonas. I told you I was a little tired, Reed says. A car's wake can have a detrimental effect on the mileage by creating a partial vacuum behind the car, tugging it backwards. What was that Mercedes sedan concept we saw, I think, back in like 2016 and 2018 that had that extendable but cut off rear end? That's what they're talking about there. So either a kind of teardrop shape. Or just flat. Again, Ferrari Daytona, uh, or even the Daytona 427 Super Coupe that never got to race. That's another example, because that's a slightly more extreme cam tail, if you remember. That's really interesting, though, to me about the Honda Insight. That would be, it might not be the most interesting video on YouTube, like, or it might not be the most thrilling or exciting, but I do think it'd be a very interesting video, trying to get 100 miles per gallon out of an Insight. An interior view of the fuel sipping concept from... Oh, because it's a photo and it, it's not there though. A teardrop shape with all four wheels enclosed would be ideal, but front wheels need to turn to steer the car. Skirts that move with the wheels would work, so would active aerodynamics. Tage likes the idea of a car that changes shape. As speed increases, the car would morph into a streamliner. Neither technology yet exists. Powering the people. 
Small fuel-sipping diesels are common in Europe. The three-cylinder 799cc unit in Mercedes-Benz's Funky Smart 4.2 CDI is the world's smallest turbo diesel. The car gets around 60 mpg as a result. Emissions regulations make passenger car diesels rare in the U.S., but Mercedes-Benz will soon introduce an E3250 Bluetech diesel that meets new, even more stringent 2007 federal standards. Diesels are going to be more and more prominent in the years ahead. That comment did not age, but it did for a time, and then it didn't. Plavitz says, If you combine a clean-burning clean diesel with a hybrid electric drive system in a lightweight car, I think 100 mpg is doable. So that sounds like a diesel-mild hybrid. That would be extremely interesting. The diesel portion of this drivetrain is well established. The electric part is still evolving, or at least it was back in 2006. Today's hybrids use nickel-metal hydrider NIMH battery packs. These deliver the needed high voltage, but are somewhat limited in their storage ability. Lithium-ion batteries, like those in your laptop, cell phone, and increasingly power tools, are generating the biggest buzz. And look now, a lot of electric car batteries are lithium-ions. The idea for better batteries on hybrid electric vehicles is on everyone's mind, especially, especially now. It especially was 10 years after the article was written, 2016. The idea for better batteries on hybrid electric vehicles... Oh, oh, we already read that. Says Dan... Dottie may I don't think that's right, so I'm just gonna I'm just not gonna say that. Sorry if I got your last name wrong. Manager of the Advanced Power Sources Department at Sandia National Labs. L I Lion, I guess that's short for lithium ion. Batteries have distinct advantages over NIMH. They contain 15% more charge per unit mass and require only one-third as many cells to achieve a given voltage. Then we gotta talk about a Volkswagen one liter car. Volkswagen developed this experimental two-seater to use less than one liter of fuel per 100 kilometers. That works out to be about 240 mpg. The 0.3 liter, 8.5 horsepower, one-cylinder engine, however, just doesn't have what it takes to handle U.S. interstates. However, today's lithium-ion batteries are two to four times more expensive than NIMH batteries. Also, currently, lithium-ion's lifespan isn't long enough for automakers' demands. Thermal management is also an issue, too. If a cell is damaged and you have an internal short circuit, the battery will release that energy and it could explode, Dan says. Dan estimates that lithium-ion technology will be ready for hybrid use in two to four years. That might have been true. For electric use, don't know, but for hybrid use, that might be true. And a nice thing about batteries is that they can be recharged from more than one, from, from more than one source. Tapping into, tapping into the electric grid is one option. There are also more self-sufficient technologies, which brings us back to Steve Lapp. Solar cells like his, like his could offer the extra energy needed to push a diesel hybrid car into the high mileage zone. Large roof-mounted roof mounted solar panels like LAP, like LAP has on his Prius have limited appeal, but there are other approaches. Energy conversion, de yeah, conversion devices are among a handful of, no, is among a handful of companies that have developed amorph amorphous photovoltaic material. What the hell is that? A thin film that can be contoured to any surface. Someday, all of a car's horizontal surface surfaces could harvest energy to feed the battery pack. And then going back to the Volkswagen Lupo 3-liter TDI. This small front-wheel drive hatchback has a 60-horsepower 3-cylinder engine, airbags, ABS, and real seats for four. It is also 330 pounds lighter than a standard Lupo and gets about 80 mpg. However, it sold poorly and was dropped by VW. Battery recharging can be enhanced further by reclaiming the regenerative braking power of all four wheels as Toyota's Highlander Hybrid does, or later the Toyota Prius C, rather than just two as in the Prius. Oh, I'm not sure about all four wheels. Okay, I'm not sure about all four wheels for the Prius C. Let me say that. Let me clarify. 
Toyota's Williamson speculates that using the four-wheel system can yield up to a 2% fuel economy gain over a two-wheel system. As an additional measure, using battery insulation and electrochromic self-darkening windows could minimize the need for energy-gobbling climate control systems. Berkeley's Hopkins thoroughly insulated the passenger compartment of an experimental car when she worked on the government-slash-industry collaborative partnership for a new generation of vehicles project. Her team used ultra-lightweight, ultra-high-performance, xenon-gas-filled insulating panels in the doors, roof, dash, and floors of the Project Taurus. Next, they coated the windows with solar control film to block the hot rays of the sun. We were able to reduce heating and cooling loads by 70 to 80%, she says. Building what people buy. Clearly, a car that gets 100 mpg every time you drive can be designed and built, but absent government regulation or far higher fuel economy earth or far higher fuel prices driving consumer demand, will any company actually do it? There's no business case for it, says GM's Tage. How many people would spend $200,000 on a car that would ultimately save them a few thousand dollars on fuel over the life of a car? And that's the problem. A car like that would be about $200,000, maybe $100,000, maybe $80,000 to $90,000. $80,000 to $90,000 now. That's still way too much. That's, what, a very common price for EVs now. Moving on, though, that's the worst case scenario in terms of price estimates, but there's little doubt that a 100 mpg car would cost, that, would cost thousands more than today's bigger, more powerful vehicles. Small, clean diesel engines run about $3,000, and you can add another $4,000 for the hybrid, Cole says. So you're looking at a $6,000, $8,000, or even $9,000 premium for just the car's powertrain, and we haven't even talked about the cost of the materials. Few drivers would ever make up the cost, of, would ever make up the cost premium at the pump. However, working out the requirements of a 100 mpg car makes it clear just how feasible it would be to it would be to build, say, a 75 mpg car for far less money. Besides, saving money isn't the only reason people choose a car. It became fashionable to, uh, it became fashionable to drive SUVs because they projected an image of power and an active lifestyle, and then that came back around just about in 2015. It's possible to imagine drivers being drawn to the environmental and national safety sorry, national security benefits of efficiency and to the cutting-edge engineering as well. So perhaps people have been asking the wrong question all along. It's not, why can't they build a 100 mpg car, but rather, do we really want one? And that's the thing. No, most, most people do not want to shell out the dough to have a 100 mpg car, especially when the buy-in is so much more than you're going to get out of it. Like, your return on investment is just not there. And then all the compromises you have to make. Like, look at a sports car, okay? People are willing to sacrifice comfort, safety, and depending on the sports car, a few other factors for fun, for the feel, for that, for that intangible, for the intangible aspect a sports car imparts upon the owner. That being the emotions you get. For a fuel, for a car that's, for a few, for a car whose compromise on the, for a car whose comp, whose similar compromises only give you better fuel economy, that's not much of a sell. Not really. It's like, okay, the car's not fun, the car's not fast, and the car's not comfortable. Well, what's the point? Like, just to save fuel? Like, that's, that's, not, a, that's not enough of an incentive for people to want to buy a $200,000 100 mpg car. It's not, because that's what supercars, sports cars, and exotic cars, and, hi and hypercars all have the advantage in. They look cool, and there's a huge benefit to all the compromises and, and buy-in, quote-unquote buy-in, that's required of them. And by buy-in, I mean the price tag. They're hella cool and they're hella fast. And we like that. That's what, that's what makes them desirable. But 
So, so again, for those, so for those cars, we will give up comfort and safety and some amenities because all of that's going towards speed and speed is fun. It's a heart purchase, not a head purchase, right? But a $200,000 MPG car is not really, is in, is in no way a heart purchase. And I would argue is not really a head purchase either. Because, because once again, your return on investment for how much money you had to shell out to buy the thing, you're not going to save that much that quickly. You're not going to make your money back that fast. That's not going to happen. So you're paying a lot and getting a very little in return. Because once again, not, comf- not nearly as comfortable, not fast, maybe good looking, though if the Prius is any indication, probably won't be. So for various reasons, yeah, do you really want a 100 MPG car? I think most people would rather have 70 or 60 MPGs and still have all the comforts, all the amenities, all the creature comforts, all the, the, the style and the performance that we've come to expect from modern vehicles. There are very few people, not no one, but there are exceedingly few people who only want fuel economy at the expense of everything else. But there are far more people who want pure speed at the expense of everything else or at significant expense of many other things at, at a bare minimum. That's, that's the truth. So Popular Mechanics 2006 is right even now. Would we even really want a 100 MPG car? Probably not. Not because, probably not given how much you'd have to sacrifice. And everything that you're sacrificing, what you're getting back is not fun. And that's why you'll, you'll sacrifice all, that, all of the same stuff for sports cars every day of the week and three times on the weekends, but not for a car whose mission is purely fuel efficiency. What do you guys think though? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Are you somewhere in between? Let me know in the comments below. In any case, I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast episode, this Sunday special. If you did, please make sure to like the episode, share the episode, and follow the podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, then do please like, comment, share, and consider subscribing. And if you do subscribe, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Please make sure you hit the little notification bell and then all notifications that way you're notified every time I upload. If you want to listen to this podcast on the road, but you don't have one with the Podbean mobile app, Hey, not a problem. Boot up wherever you get your podcasts. Tap in Cody's Car Conundrum and then choose the episode you want to listen to. I will see you all next time. You've just listened to me probably ramble about some cars if I'm being honest. If you've enjoyed me passionately talking about lumps of metal on wheels, then why don't you follow me on Twitter at Cody Carr, C-O-N-U-N-D-R-M, or check out my website, www.codyscarconundrum.com, for articles and other car-related content. If you have any questions or would like to become a sponsor, send an email to drtaffy777 at gmail.com and put sponsor in the subject line. Make sure to follow me here or any other platform so you don't miss out on more full throttle content. Thanks for listening. I'll see you all in the next episode.